and welcome to Single Unexpectedly. I'd like to start this segment by quoting a verse of scripture, one with which you may be familiar. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Do you know what verse I just quoted? It's 1 Corinthians 7.7, 7, a verse you've probably read and heard many times. It's the foundation of a doctrine called the gift of singleness. If you're single, especially past the age of 30, I'm certain you've heard the term gift of singleness before and have likely heard it applied to you. And if you're like me, you've been at times a little frustrated and dismayed to hear that term applied to you. That's because most of us who are single over the age of 30 or 40 don't really desire to be. This is simply how our lives have turned out, and we don't feel we have a gift. Perhaps, like me, you've always wanted to marry, always expected someday to have children and a family, and have longed for the kind of companionship and intimacy that can be found only in marriage. And subsequently, you don't see your singleness as a gift. What you may not know, however, is that when people use the term gift of singleness, they're not always talking about the same thing. They don't define that term the same way. There are, in fact, two distinct schools of thought in the church on the subject of singleness. One school of thought sees the gift of singleness as a status. They say 1 Corinthians 7-7 demonstrates that God gives a person either the gift of singleness or the gift of marriage. To know which gift you've been given, all you need to do is look at your wedding ring finger. If there's a ring on the third finger of your left hand, then congratulations, you've got the gift of marriage. If not, you've got the gift of singleness. It's just that simple. Because of that mindset, this school of thought strongly encourages singles, young and old, not to waste their singleness, to use their single status to glorify God and serve his kingdom. Like John the Baptist, the Apostle Paul, and even our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, all were single to the glory of God. I think this is, this is great advice, and I agree that we shouldn't waste our singleness pining over marriage. But this school of thought overlooks the fact that the Bible presents singleness and marriage as choices, not statuses that God forces upon us. In 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Timothy 5, and other passages, the Apostle, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says we are free to choose marriage or singleness. Either state is acceptable to God. So what about those of us who have chosen marriage but have no opportunity to marry? What about the unfulfilled sexual desires we have that threaten to drive us up the wall? Isn't that evidence that we are better suited to marriage? This school of thought says, no, singleness is obviously God's choice for you. Sex is overrated. You don't need it. Just accept your singleness. Fall more in love with Jesus and you'll be fine. Essentially, they believe that everyone falls into one of two groups, those whom God has assigned singleness and those whom he has assigned marriage. They don't believe there's a third group, that is a group of singles who really should be married, but for whatever reason haven't had the opportunity to marry and find their single status to be extremely challenging at best, very discouraging and frustrating at worst. So that's the first school of thought. The second school of thought sees the gift of singleness not as a status, but as an ability. As a result, they usually call it the gift of celibacy, not typically the gift of singleness. 
In addition to 1 Corinthians 7-7, they lean heavily on 1 Corinthians 7-9, which reads, But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. This school of thought also believes there are two groups of people, but they define them a little differently than the first school. In one group are those who can be single and devote themselves solely to the things of the Lord, without the encumbrances of marriage and family because they have the gift of celibacy, a gift that allows them to be perfectly okay living without marital companionship or sexual fulfillment. This is the gift they feel the Apostle Paul had. They believe this is a a rare gift. The second group is the larger, more common group that, that desires and needs marriage. It's the group God expects most people to fall under. Like the first school of thought, they don't acknowledge a third group, They believe anyone who is single and frustrated because they can't live contentedly without sexual intimacy should get married. And they interpret 1 Corinthians 7, 9, the one I read before, it's better to marry than to burn with passion, as almost a promise from God that he will provide a spouse for those singles. Although they believe being a celibate single is an acceptable and godly lifestyle, this school is known for extolling the virtues of marriage in sermons, speeches, and books touting its personal and social and spiritual benefits. They believe most people should find a way to marriage one way or another, and they don't have much advice for those who desire marriage but can't seem to obtain it. So what about you? Are you in that unacknowledged third group? I believe I am. I like to call it door number three to harken back to the let's make a deal Monty Hall days. There isn't much out there for us living behind door number three, is there? Not much encouragement or instruction. We're single, but we long for marriage. We can't put our finger on exactly why we're still single, and yet the opportunity for marriage continues to elude us. We're stuck in an often uncomfortable and vexing situation. Well, that's the purpose of Single Unexpectedly in its future podcast. Though we in group number three often feel invisible in the church, God knows who we are. He saved us. He loves us. And he has an encouraging word for us. I know many of you who are single and over 30 still fervently desire marriage, and you're still praying to that end and seeking God's help in finding a spouse. And I want to encourage you to continue doing that. It's no sign of spiritual weakness to desire marriage. And if you feel compelled to pray boldly for a spouse, please do so. But if you're like me and you grow weary of people telling you, hang in there. God has someone just perfect for you out there. I just know it. He's just around the corner. If you've gotten to a point in your life where, as difficult as this is to contemplate, you think your time might be better spent pursuing Christ than running after that elusive ring. And if you're struggling with the unique challenges of lifelong singleness, I hope these podcasts will be encouraging and helpful to you. You may even be on the fence, totally irresolute, not knowing whether to pursue marriage with everything you've got or just give up and accept it as coming from the hand of God. Both choices are difficult. No one can make those choices for you. In fact, you might vacillate between those two alternatives each passing day. Trust me, I know the dilemma. I totally understand. In future podcasts, I will talk about some of the more challenging aspects of long-term unexpected singleness and share counsel and encouragement with you from God's word. There is encouragement for us singles, and not just in 1 Corinthians 7. 
We'll cover such subjects as avoiding bitterness and envy of others who are married. This is a huge temptation for me as a single woman. Dealing with unfulfilled sexual desires without succumbing to sexual immorality. Dealing with loneliness. Finding your identity as a single woman when you always assume you'd find, you find it in marriage and motherhood. Finding purpose and joy in singleness, even if you've never wanted to be here at this age. And many, many other topics. I pray that each podcast will be uplifting and inspiring to you. Blessing single sisters. You may not be married, but you are loved by God. Until next time.